Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghost of Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 215 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today, we'll be discussing chapter 71 of A Storm of Swords, it's Daenerys 6. And as we always do about this time, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. And hopefully what we're going to do is provide you some entertainment along the way. We will summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll provide some additional information about the characters and other things of note in this chapter. How are you, McKelly? I'm doing I'm doing well. We just spent about 40 minutes crafting a, what will be about a 33-second ad. So... <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> If if we sound fed up with each other, <laughs> I think it'll be a good ad. We're we're uh, yes, we're we're creating a an ad to uh, you know reach out Spread to more listeners. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, it was um, <laughs> ultimately about thirty three seconds, and we spent forty minutes. So I mean, what it's a good good time spent, I guess. Yes, yes, it was a good time spent. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was it was funny because because it. One of the things about one, our our careers are in the writing profession, yes, right, yes. And so yes. when one of us writes something and the other one critiques it, it's a little bit of a personal and professional slur to do that. <laughs> I did not feel that in any way. <laughs> Almost none of your words survived. Uh, that, you know, basically the original draft was I took our trailer and converted it, tried to convert it into an ad. But what we discovered was. It was too much. We were trying to cram too much into the amount of time we had. We we did sound like we were listing the possible side effects. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Diarrhea, <Yeah>. nausea. <laughs> yes. We needed that really fast uh, speaker person at the end of every... That was a problem. Uh, anyway. So you know how I had... You know multiple things. You know lots of things, but you know multiple things about me. I uh, when I recommend something, usually you <laughs> don't take take me up on my recommendations. Can, can I interject with an excuse? You do recommend a lot, and you have no standards. <laughs> well, uh, so I, you know, I had recommended on these very airwaves the show Freaks and Geeks the. Oh, Early yeah. 2000s yeah. show uh, by Judd Apatow, I believe, or yeah. at least produced by Judd Apatow. Well, I was a huge fan of that show, very much so. And I finally convinced Stacy to give it a try. Oh. And we had been watching it as kind of like a secondary show, and we'd take a break from the primary show that we understand. Are currently we have the watching. same kind of thing, yeah. Yes, which currently is All the Light We Cannot See, by the way, is a uh, pretty good netflix show it's only like four episodes or something anyway taking a break from that we watching freaks and geeks and we got three ep- we got through three episodes and last night we finished our episode of all the light we cannot see and we had some time to watch another show and i was like what do you want to watch and she goes uh i don't know maybe like some office reruns or something and she said do you know how you and i are like usually totally on the same page about most things and I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird thing to say, but uh, sure. And she's like, well, I cannot believe that you like Freaks and Geeks because I think it is absolutely terrible. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So I guess we won't be watching that anymore. Ouch. So once again, a recommendation does not pan yeah. out for me. Well, that's too bad. And and the funny thing is, is I think normally I'm on Stacy's side, but on this one, I haven't watched it enough to know, but I'm pretty sure I would like it. So I'm Team McKelly. It's, 
it's one of those shows that you have to give it time to get to its point. A bit like Ghosts of you know, Get Where it's yeah. trying to go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we were, we were, uh, well, we were throwing out ideas for the uh, ad. We were like, maybe we should explain how bad our first few episodes are. <laughs> please, please listen to our podcast. It's pretty bad, but it gets better. <laughs> continually improves. And that's what, that, that's kind of the point yeah, in life, right? Life. It's continually yeah, yeah. improve. So um, anyway, how are you doing? I'm good. I I have a story for you from a uh, it's from a mutual friend um, who goes to a, the same Chinese restaurant all the time and knows the family who owns it and that the, they have kids the same age as his kids and so that, that you know and he always has the same thing when he goes there and it's a thing that he was saying it's like the quintessential thing one orders at a Chinese restaurant but I didn't I wasn't really familiar with it but he. It, so during your monologue about freaks and geeks, I was off Googling to try and remember what the heck this dish was called. And it appears to be called Mugu Gai Pan. I've heard of it. Yes, okay. I have. And so that's what he always gets. The family recently sold the restaurant to another Chinese family. So it's just changed hands. But they went to it uh-huh. for the first time. And they sort of like said hello, said they were regulars kind of thing. And the family, the, the, the new owners were very welcoming and all this kind of thing. And he said... Mark didn't even look at the menu. He said, Mugu Gai Pan. And the lady said, what? <laughs> Are you speaking gibberish, man? <laughs> he said, Mugu Gai Pan. And, and like, he's getting his phone out to sort of type it to her. And she's like, what are you saying? She's like, is that supposed to be Chinese food you're saying? And she had no idea. <laughs> She'd never heard of this dish. She did not know it, it existed. And but the funny thing really? was she she put it down to the language barrier and she called over another waitress and she said in perfect English she said uh, can you help this guy my English is shit <laughs> in perfect in English. perfect English in front of him <laughs> so this sort of stimulated a conversation about how certain ethnic foods gain a sort of local flavor you know that mugu gai pan right. is kind of like an american chinese dish not a chinese chinese oh, dish yeah. i'm not sure that's 100 like general so's or something exactly you don't go you wouldn't find that in china but you find it here right um okay and when that got mentioned i have a indian lady in my team and uh, when that got mentioned she went oh yeah like uh, chicken tikka masala chicken tikka masala is the is the quintessential english indian dish but indian people are like what's that uh, what, what are you <laughs> yeah. talking about but she knew about that's it fa- that's pretty fascinating yeah, yeah. huh well i guess he didn't get his mugu guy pants they went off and made something that looked a bit like what they sh- what he showed him on his phone <laughs> he said it wasn't exactly right <laughs> just got of improvised yeah. <laughs> it's like like people who could like play an instrument you know, just by ear, like yeah. play a song by ear, you know? Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure it was tasty and good, but uh, I, I just loved the fact that she thought it was her English that was letting her down when really <laughs> it was just she'd never heard of this dish. But uh, I looked it up, actually, and it is actually a, a South China dish. So if you're from the South of China, you probably will have heard of it. It's just, you know, regionally, you won't have heard yeah. of it. Okay, good to know. Well, anyway, let's get down to business. How do we leave Daenerys Targaryen? Uh, last we saw of Danny, she'd reached Marine. The Myrnes have walled themselves up and it looks like a tough nut to crack. Her Kalasar is bloated with hungry, freed slaves and a long siege is not going to work. Arston is revealed as Barristan Selmy when he saves her life from Miro of Bravos. And Selmy and Sajora trade insults before Danny sends them both on a mission to infiltrate Marine, from which she half expects, half hopes, that neither of them will come back. McKelly, why don't we give them the summary of this one? All right. Well, Danny watches the dragon circle the Great Pyramid. Marine is hers. She surveys her new city with both a sense of power and loneliness. Miss Sandy serves breakfast pestered by flies. Danny's going to need to do something about those. Danny's grown very fond of the little girl and has promised to take her home to Noth one day. But Miss Sandy is, insists she is happy with Danny. They took Marine in less than a day. Danny had cannibalized the ships for battering rams and other siege material. 
The ram had brought down the eastern gate, and her unsullied and cell sores poured through the breach. The squad she sent up the sewers, the sewer rats, she dubbed them, were able to locate the fighting pits and strike the chains from the slaves there. Within an hour, half the fighting slaves in the city had risen up against their masters. The slaughter had been indiscriminate and brutal. When Danny entered the city, the freed slaves called her mother. In the great plaza, the defeated masters huddled. Danny will spare them if the rest of the leaders are brought forward. How many? 163, to be exact. One for every child crucified on the road between Yunkai and Marine. Their fate? Much the same. Danny's horrified by what she's done, but steals herself. Harsh justice is still justice. The corpses of the slavers are the source of the flies. Now she heads to the audience chamber with her retinue. Given recent history, she can't help but wonder who will betray her next. Yet, since the dragon has three heads, there must be at least two people in the world that she can trust. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. She's imposed order on the city and things have calmed. Next order of business is the flies, the bodies to be taken down, and at Miss Sandy's suggestion, the bones stripped and returned to the families to honour Miranese funeral rites. The first petitioner of the day is an envoy from Astapor. The council that she had left in charge had been replaced by a King Cleon. Miss Andy informs her that Cleon was a slave butcher who offers his hand in marriage, this to shore up an alliance against Yunkai, who are already working to undo the freedom she imposed within that city. Given that Cleon is already married, she's not exactly impressed. The envoy is shown to Chambers, while Danny worries about her successes turning to dust in her hands. This news could have implications. If word reaches the freed Miranese slaves, they might choose to follow her, rather than stay only to be re-enslaved when she leaves them to their fate. But she can't afford to swell her calisar with more non-fighters. The next petitioner is a Carthine trader. He wants to exchange goods for slaves. That obviously goes against what Danny wants. But Dario informs her that many are willing to return to slavery with better masters in the free cities. Danny begrudgingly permits individuals to return to slavery, but no children or spouses can be sold. Miss Sandy suggests a tax, which Danny agrees to. Next order of business is Barristan Selmy and Jorah Mormont. She deals with Sebastian first. How did he end up betraying her family? He doesn't hold back. Robert was a good knight, and her father was mad. Viserys showed the same tendencies, but the god's coin toss appears to have landed on the good side with Daenerys. She bristles, but gives him back his sword, and he pledges his life to her. Now for Sajora. He wants forgiveness, and also holds nothing back. The fact that he was spying as recently as Karth is shocking to Danny. All his good deeds are tainted. He stopped the poisoner who were sent because of his dispatches. He tries to draw equivalence between himself and Selmy, but she's not having that. He professes his love, but she banishes him anyway, thinking that this is the betrayal for love that was foretold. She returns to her rooms and tries to read, but can't focus. Selmy interrupts as she watches her dragons. He offers to answer any questions she may have. As a king's guard, royal secrets are safe, but they belong to her now. She asks about the Targaryen madness, and he confirms that Ares, charming most of the time, was increasingly erratic as he grew older. Danny decides that she's heard enough for now. Danny sleeps with Eri that night, but longs for Drogo. Her dreams are troubled, and she wakes early. Miss Andy joins her and promises to never betray her queen. Danny's made her decision. Egan conquered, but then brought peace. Before she can lay claim to Westeros, she has to do the same here. She'll march no more. Stay here in Marine and become a queen rather than a Khaleesi. Okay. 
So Marineville, much as Astapor did previously, the infiltrating tactic worked and presumably saved lives. It's always good to have people fighting on the inside of the walls when you're trying to breach them. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the lives saved, by the way, were only on Danny's side, not on the slavers' side. Yes. They took heavy losses. Good distinction. I think the description that Danny thinks about is that it took, like, half a day to clear the dead bodies from the gate in order to allow her to get through. So... But uh, yeah, she took it in less than a day, and I thought it was a a smart move to use the uh, ship material to uh, to yeah. create siege engines. I mean, you've already offended Illyrio Mopatis mortally anyway. <laughs> you might as well chop up his ships for parts at this right. point. <laughs> yeah, because you remember uh, last chapter when she was at the gates of Marine. They had burned in all of the um, area around the city so that she couldn't do this very thing. So there was no material to uh, create right. siege engines. So it was yeah. a good, it was actually, it was such a good idea. She, the way I read the description or, or her thoughts, I guess, is that she thought of the plan and commanded the captains to ground the ships. And if it truly was her own thought, that's a, really solid battle strategy for you know a, a someone who doesn't really have any battle strategy training yep yep credit where it's due that's true um i've got to say i was slightly confused when i read the first time through that i thought they were battering with the ships <laughs> the ships were like ramming into the beach and like the the masts were sticking out the front and hitting the doors but i was like <laughs> The doors can't be on that side, surely. <laughs> I read it more carefully. Uh-huh. Figured out what was going on. You know what else? It seems that the term turtle isn't just a nickname that the Night's Watch gave such a structure. Isn't that isn't that funny that that cropped up again? Yes. Yeah. Like uh, because that the ships were used for battering rams, turtles, and other things. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. There you go. I guess. It's a good name for something that acts as a shell over you when you're sieging walls that are higher than you. I guess so. It, it does seem to fit the description. Um, so she crucifies 163 of the uh, slavers once the city falls. Uh, obviously, on some levels, it's completely justified because of what they did to the slave children. But when the rubber hits the road, Danny still has enough humanity in her to be appalled by what she's doing, which is a good sign. You don't want to become... Uh, numb to this kind of horror right very um, and as she very says true. rough justice is still justice but then the fact that these bodies are now creating an infestation of flies is not so good for the city so now now that yeah, there's definitely a lot of bad going on but i mean yes it they kind of kind of allude to it but what what she's doing with the 163 crucified slavers is recreating what the slavers did with the slave children on the road from Yonkai to Marine with like at each mile, there was a child pointing in the direction who had been crucified. And so she's, that's why she's doing this exact thing here. I have to say it's incredibly wasteful. I mean, obviously it, it had the desired effect of annoying her, but that, Desired effect was actually not good news for you because A, you lost your city and B, 163 of you got crucified. True. But secondly, what a waste. I mean, slaves are not free. Oh, right, right. They are a a resource that costs money and to throw away 163 children just to annoy someone. Yeah. crazy. And it it also, while while we're talking about that, it also made me wonder about the fighting slaves because the fighting pits of Marine... Pretty much to the death, right? There's yeah. not too many fighting slaves who have a one in the loss column. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty much every one of them is undefeated, right? That's yeah, I guess so. We haven't really gotten a whole lot into the like the the rules of the the slave fighting, but yeah, you I'm would just think... guessing. Maybe I maybe I'm wrong, but again, wasteful of slaves and also. These guys must be, I mean, the ones they freed must be really tough. I mean, they've won every fight they've ever been in. Right. Yeah. yeah unless there's like a, an uncle rule, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> uncle, I give up. 
Um, yeah, so because of, because of the betrayals of the last chapter, Danny is uh, looks around her, uh, her retinue of loyal uh, counsellors. So that's Grey Worm, Dario, Ben Plum, Irian Jiqui, uh, Missandei. And she wonders which one of those is going to be the next to betray her because it feels like everyone betrays her eventually. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think I think the cell swords will betray her because they are cell swords. Well, there's that. So far, they're just a they're batting a thousand. Yes, <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's hardly betrayal. It is the time has come for right. us to turn yeah. the tables on you. And, and she remembers what the man that that we suspect was Rhaegar in one of her visions at the House of the Undying said, which is that the dragon has three heads. And she she's looking around this room thinking, who's going to betray me next? And she thinks, the dragon has three heads, so there are two men in the world who I can trust. I just have to now, find them. I, I, just, to, just to focus on that, in the recap, I didn't say men. But I very much noticed that what she said was two men in the world. I was going to ask you about that that as well. <laughs> Why is because, she assuming that they're male? Exactly, because because the original threesome was two females. Right, yeah. It was Egan and his two sister wives, right? Yeah. So it doesn't feel like it has to be two men, but she definitely said two men. She did, so, yes. Maybe it's just because she was on the outs with Barristan Selmy and Jorah Mormont at that time. And so she was thinking, those are not the two men who are going to be the other, right. three, other heads of the dragon. There must be two men somewhere who are not really thinking about the fact that later on in the same chapter, she was going to sleep with Eri. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be that. It could be that, you know, two men most recently betrayed her and she thinking, there's got to be two men in this world that I can trust. Yeah. I don't know. I Yeah. I found it, I was going to say interesting. I found it curious as well. Yeah. I, maybe, you know, she, she's, she's a Khaleesi in a patriarchal society and maybe she just assumed it has to be two men. To well, that's true. Elevate her chances. It, it can't be it, for having children because she feels that she will never be able to have children. So that right. can't be the fact, the factor. Right. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook, or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah. Oh, maybe maybe she meant it in the human sense, but it felt it felt pretty gender-specific to me. I agree. I agree. So the news from Astapor is pretty troubling. A uh, sense of backsliding. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the king Cleon uh, was a slave, so it's not a slaver, but often the oppressed can become the oppressors when given the rules, the, the reins of power. So it's not a good, it's not a good situation. Yeah. Um, it, it, the, and it also the... creates this sense for her that she can never leave behind these things because the problems will swell back up again in her wake if she doesn't stay. Right. Yes. It definitely, it would definitely feel that way. That uh, every time I turn around, I have to turn back around because right. the situation I just put out has reared its head again. Now, now this great Cleon, who the envoy calls him King Cleon, is the great Cleon. Uh, Miss Sandy asks him, is he the former slave of Grazdan Mo Ulur? And he says, yes, he is. And that name probably doesn't mean anything to us because, first of all, when we were in Astapor, there was like 10 Grazdans. Yeah, they but were all called Grazdan, yeah. yeah. Th- that Grazdan was the oldest of the good masters who were negotiating with Danny and Astapor when she pulled the Drogon trick. So that's okay. the that's the Grazdan in reference there. I'm glad you said that because I assumed it was the guy who sold the um, Unsullied. So I'm I'm glad you've made that distinction because I would have missed it. And, you know, we had discussed before why the freed slaves would go with Danny rather than stay in the city that she has freed. And here's here we see one pretty good reason. You know, the likelihood of a city staying free is, seems to be small, at least in Astapor. And it seems like According to this man, Yonkai is headed in the same way. Right. So, yeah. you know. 
that there would be one thing that she could do. She could leave a contingent of Unsullied at each of these cities to, you know, like in Astapor, she left a council of wise men to sort of like run the place, give them a hundred Unsullied to look after them and to keep order. But she can't afford to do this. She's, you know, she's trying to grow her army. All she's doing, all she would do then is lose her army and gain more mouths to feed. Right. And one thing kind of surprising about the Unsullied is that at least according to the people from Astapor, they can't rule themselves. They are, they can't lead themselves. They need leaders placed in command of them, which it seems like this Grey Worm is is doing a pretty decent job of, of leading his Unsullied. So I guess they can be trained to do that. Yeah, but but that's a that is a good point because if you leave them under the if you leave them under the control of someone you don't know and trust completely, then they could be used in a way you don't intend, you know? Yes. Right. Because they don't have that self, they're not self-motivated to do the right thing, you know. So if you say, these guys are your commanders now, they would do whatever they were told. Right. At least that, at least that was the case before they were freed. You know, it, it would take a while for philosophies to change when it's been that beaten into you, you know, into exactly. your head. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But did you notice that the, so the two men who came to speak with her today, uh, they both came on this ship called the Indigo Star, and one was the envoy from Astapor, and the other, I believe, was the captain of that ship. And they had very different views of the Astapor post-Daenerys leaving and with this King Cleon being in control here. Yeah, I'm going with the the captain of the ship, not the envoy from that king. <laughs> right. For, for, <laughs> the, for the true true. The envoy paints a very heroic picture of of um, this Cleon ousting the bad leadership council that was put in place and him being this great new leader. And the captain of the ship calls the man King Cleaver and uh-huh. uh, says that he's raising a new army of Unsullied. He'd taken all of the highborn boys and is creating a uh, a new unsullied and that there's warring gangs and starvation and death throughout the city and it, it paints a pretty terrible picture yeah and, and yep. it call it it causes danny to recall eroa and her fate and just as a quick reminder that's the the lazarine yes, girl remind me <laughs> she was the lazarine girl that danny found being gang raped when cal drogo took that arrow that ended up festering where yes. where she met Mar- uh, miri mazdor yes 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 she she saved the girl rescued her made her her handmaid but then when drogo died eroa was gang raped and killed and danny feels like I tried to save her and I couldn't. I I failed. Yeah. And I I think that Aroa is kind of the face of the face of the futility of saving people from bad situations. Yeah. Only to yeah, yeah. She's, ultimately she, suffer she's a worse. The emblem fate. of it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And a foreshadowing of what was to come. Yeah. So one of the most important parts of the chapter, of course, is is the confrontation with Barristan Selmy and Jorah Mormont. It definitely makes sense to reinstate Barristan Selmy. He never betrayed her or really her family. You know, his injuries at the time of the transfer of power meant that he couldn't do anything about it. And and as he was candid with her here, Robert was potentially a better king than Aerys. And so he couldn't stop Aerys from being killed. He would have fought to the death to do so, but he was in no position to do so. And so he gave fealty to the new king. It it, it does actually make a lot of sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. Once his reasoning and, of why is identified, I think it's pretty easy yeah. to forgive him. Easy yeah. for me to say. And he is a font of knowledge about her family, which she has no other source for. Right. Very, very much... A solid mm. point there. Yeah, and you know, Barristan begins to tell Danny the truth about her father. Um, and I have to say, good on her for not immediately calling him a liar and discounting his remarks. 
because her whole life she's been conditioned to believe that her father was a great king and this mad king stuff and all the negative things about him were just uh, just the usurper trying to disparage him. Right. One of the nice, one of the factors that plays into that, of course, is that the source of that information was Viserys, who himself was evil and mad, very much like the father he was saying wasn't evil and mad. I can tell by your face that you were about to say something like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you're right. You're you're it, as funny as it was. You are right. <laughs> You know, maybe life with Viserys put just enough seed of a doubt that when Barristan exactly. said that her father, that he was his father's son, she was like, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. And, I, and then she uh, wonders later in the chapter if Viserys was truly mad. And surely, if she stepped back and and kind of looked things over, she would see the signs. Yeah, I mean... There's not that many, though. I mean, I mean, we, I think, have as our biggest factor there his willingness to blow up the city. But nobody knows that. Barristan Selmy doesn't know that. Danny doesn't know that. That's that's between Jamie and nobody else because he refuses to tell anyone why he did what he did. Right, you know? right, right. Uh, the What he did to uh, uh, Rickard and Brandon Stark... That one is pretty bad. But look what she just did to 163 of the slavers of Marine, you know? Well, well, yeah. Yeah. I see. I see your point there. Yeah. So, in fact, honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that the person telling you that your father wasn't mad was your brother foaming at the mouth about the fact your father wasn't mad, I'm not sure she would have any evidence that he was mad, really. And what is interesting to me about Selmy's testimony is that he was saying that he actually wasn't like this all the time. Right. He had bouts of it as a youngster, but actually was charming and, you know, more like his son Rhaegar as a youngster. But as he grew older, he became more and more like Viserys. Right. I wonder, it makes you wonder if Rhaegar had lived longer, if he might have suffered the same fate. Uh, and Daenerys? Yes, Daenerys as well. Sure. Yeah. She seems okay now, but again, she just crucified 163 people. Right. Yeah. That's 163 more than I have. <laughs> and it's about 158 more than I've been tempted to. <laughs> uh, uh, Things are pretty harsh on Sejora, I think. Uh, yes. But I will say that the revelation that he was still sending messages to Westeros as recently as Karth is perhaps the final straw. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I thought that was the biggest reveal in this whole chapter. And I think Danny <laughs> did too. <laughs> right. There was plenty of time for him to have cut ties with Westeros before that. Yeah, if you if you think about what what all has transpired since they were in Vase Dothrock? Like, he saved her from the wine merchant in Vase yes. Dothrock. He saved her from Drogo's blood riders when Drogo was comatose. Yes, after Miri Mazdor did her blood magic, he was there for the birth of her dragons. He was named Lord Commander of her Queen's Guard. He crossed the Red Waste with her when people were dying left and right. It seemed he was truly her man. I was shocked that he was still sending letters home in Karth. Now, now there's some there was some talk on the Discord server about this earlier. Yes. D- when did he re- he he reveals this in this chapter? But Barristan Selmy didn't know it. No, it doesn't seem that. Uh, when I read that part, I thought, did I miss something? And so. I was doing my research. I couldn't find anything. So that's when I asked on the Discord server on our Buy Me a Coffee uh, channel, Sustainer channel, did any did, had anybody else know that this existed before this moment when it's revealed? And Jenny did some research. She was reading Tyrion chapters and small council meetings and stuff. She couldn't find any um, any time that this was mentioned before just now. So... All right, a couple of things. One, could Jorah have been saying, sending a letter saying, I am not going to spy on this lady anymore? 
this is my last message. Yeah, you would think if that was the case, maybe he was going to say, because she cut him off, you know? She maybe does cut him off. he was yes. going to say, yeah. I sent a letter from Karth saying I'm out. But why would you bother to do that? <laughs> right. The flip side of that is, did, did he get swept along by Barristan Selmy's brutal honesty? Barristan Selmy told her, your, ma- your father was mad. The, the usurper who you hate was quite right. Your father was mad. And Jorah was like, uh, honesty s- appears to be working. <laughs> I'll admit to all the things I've done. And it was a mistake. I'd say. There was no need to cop to that. Yeah. Yeah, because because you're right. Laying out that timeline that you just laid out, if the last thing he did was... I mean, she fixates on the uh, on the fact that he informed Westeros of her pregnancy, and that's why they sent the poisoner, who sh- he then saved her from. I think that if he cut off that at that point... Yeah, it's nothing. It's neutral. If you stop spying on her then and you do all these other things that you just listed in your list, that he could have survived this. Yes. If the last thing he did was prevent her from being killed by the wine merchant, then he could have said, I realized that I was your man and I did the what I could do to undo what I had done. Right. I'd been keeping tabs on you, but I'd never believed that they would murder you. I thought they were more honorable than this. I was wrong. You were the true queen of Westeros, and I've been protecting you ever since. Note the Blood Riders, note the Red Waste, note everything else. But that letter from Karth, good God. (laughs) That one, oh my. Yeah, I, I respect his honesty. He may have gone a little too far with the honesty there. But I, I think from the very beginning, like you said, he took the he took attacked right from the very beginning. And it was clearly the wrong one because <laughs> I feel like if he had been remorseful from the beginning, she was set to forgive him. Our, we were in her head. She had planned on forgiving him. But he initially went in right from the get-go, defending himself and pointing out all the things he's done for her. I did this for you. I did this for you. I told you about this. All the things that I told you would come true did. And, he even uh, confronted her over the capture of Marine. Right. He said, we won the city for you. She was like, you helped to <laughs> win the city for me. Yeah, so I I, I feel like that was... um. That was not a good tact. If he could redo this whole thing, I'm sure he would. <laughs> could I just start over? <laughs> Mess it up again is probably the answer to that question. Um, so just before she uh, banishes him, he confesses her his love for her, which we all knew about. Uh, and of course, then because she sees his betrayal and hears his profession of love, she connects that to the three treasons that she was warned about in the dream in the House of the Undying. Yes, in the House of the Undying. There would be three betrayals, one for blood, one for gold, and one for love. Yes, and we've been trying to keep tabs on what might be what here. And we we were pretty sure that the blood one was Miri Mazdor. That one feels pretty solid. Gold, we had considered previously it being Jorah because he was selling her secrets and trading whispers to the spider for not necessarily gold, but promises of returning home and, you know, possibly that would come with some gold. He did say, I'm pretty sure he said in this chapter, I took Varys's gold. Did he not say that? I think he did say those words. I'm pretty those sure words. he said that. So, yeah. but Danny, in this chapter, when he says, I love you, she thinks, and there it is, I'm being betrayed for love. Uh, and we yeah. had no other good guesses um, for the love one, but right. So then, what's the gold one? Betraying for love isn't. He didn't do it for her. His love for her, right? He right. betrayed her. If he, despite the fact that he loved her, exactly. 
If he still had his wife back in Westeros and was trying to get back to Westeros to her, then it would be a betrayal for love, right. potentially. Yes. But you're absolutely right. I, I don't see it as that. In fact, if anything, if he said what you think he said, then it is more likely it's confirming that he was the betrayal for gold. Right. Yes, I, I agree. I, I think I think gold still fits best for Jorah. Yeah. Dan, right. we'll keep an eye on it then. Danny disagrees, but you know what? We're all entitled to our opinion at this point, so Danny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what next for Jorah? I will he be to Essos as the Hound is to Westeros? Oh, uh, a loose cannon in the field. Yeah, it, or you know, with the chaos going on in Westeros in general, but especially in the North, surely nobody would be paying attention if he suddenly showed up in Bear Island. I mean, other than the people in Bear Island, so. True, yes. But even Mage Mormont's not there right now, his aunt. Right. Uh, but would he give up on Danny so easily, though? Banished is banished. Yeah. The difference between him and the Hound is that the Hound willingly gave up on Joffrey and the Lannisters. He wanted nothing True. more to do with them. Jorah, at least to the moment that he was banished, was still in love with Danny, so... It's possible he could just stay around Essos close enough, but not too close, yeah. you know? Maybe he could make his own little, own little camasar. <laughs> Him and, like, you know, finds a couple of people. They right. <laughs> um, I will say that um, the nature of the book is he's going to drift out of our sphere because our only uh, POV character in Essos is Danny. Yeah? Unless and he becomes be banished one. from Danny. Unless he becomes one, of course, yeah. Or another POV character comes up. But but right now, to be banished from Danny is to be banished from the books. Right. You're in Essos. Yep. Yep, that's true. Well, we'll miss you. So uh, Danny that night seeks release, shall we say, with Uri. <laughs> it's becoming a bit of a habit, although she does tell herself that she was thinking of Drogo or Dario, but Drogo. Right. Um, at the same time. Uh and I do like the fact that she says that her kisses taste of duty or something like that. Yes, that is that is the line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't quite sure how to feel about that line because in some ways it feels like she is coercing her if it feels like her duty and not something she is necessarily interested in doing. Yeah. I, th I think there's definitely some of that going on, for sure. Yeah. But I will say, Miss Sandy is a sweet character. And it's hard, having watched Game of Thrones since I read the books, it's hard to think of Miss Sandy as the little girl that she is, because she's much more grown up in the show. Right. But she's sweet, and she's smart. She she's is. like, let's put a tax on those slaves. Yeah, you know? I feels like she's a very special person. She's, like you said, she's smart. She's also seemingly incredibly loyal. And she knows the political landscape of Slaver's Bay pretty well. Having, right, yeah, exactly. Having been the uh, translator for a lot of deals right, right. about various And things. scribe as well, right? Yes. She was a scribe, so she would have yes. learned math and things like that. And, and one of the things, uh, so this, uh, she, Danny and Miss Sandy are having this conversation early in the morning at the end of the chapter. And Miss Sandy comes out and asks if Danny's okay. And she says, yeah, she was just looking for a house with a red door. And that is very confusing to Miss Sandy. One, because it's dark out. And two, she said, what house with what red door? And uh, Danny says, never mind. There's there's no house with the red door. Mm -hmm. But, of course, she's referring to the house that Willem Derry took her and Viserys to after they fled Dragonstone in Bravos with the lemon tree out front, which is really the only childhood home she's ever known. And so when she yeah. thinks of simple times and, you know, her pure, innocent childhood, it's in that house before yes. uh, Willem Derry died. Danny's motif of home and safety is the red door and the lemon tree. Her motif of I can't catch a break was uh, Iroya. Right, right, yeah. Eroa, did I get that right? Uh, e R O A H, Eroa, something like that. Eroa, that's good enough. Good enough. So the decision to stay and pacify Marine properly does, definitely has some logic. It's it's large enough that her followers can actually find places to stay and live, 
Oh, yeah. So right. they don't have to all be in the field. Um, she doesn't want to have Astapor happening again. She does need somewhere for her dragons to grow in peace and safety. And a city's not a bad choice there. There might be some bad characters, but it's easier for them. It's easy to imagine them growing large and healthy in one place than constantly on the move. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, for those reasons, it makes sense. She'd love to free all of Slaver's Bay, but it could end up being a very time-consuming game of whack-a-mole as you keep going round and round. It does seem to be. Like you said, unless she yeah. can actually get a strong leadership in place in a city, which will require her to leave people that she needs behind in those cities. Yeah. And it very it very much reminds me of the conversation you and I were having before about going back and recording, re-recording our first few episodes to improve them. <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> right. <laughs> now the next one sounds terrible. All right, let's do that one. Let's do the next 10. <laughs> now she equates her, at the very end of the chapter, she equates her lack of success in Slaver's Bay with inability to reconquer Westeros. I think it's an apples to oranges comparison here. I mean, here in Slaver's Bay, she has no support structure. She's an outsider. She's fundamentally trying to change a system that's been in place for thousands of years. Well, we can see just with the people wanting to be sold into slavery and, you know, the the fighting pit slaves being bred for violence and they're the ones she's having the most trouble with creating violence now that the uh, city's been taken over you know it's it's a whole mindset change which could take generations to catch on and she doesn't really have time for that kind of thing i think the other thing to to think about is that her challenge when she gets to westeros will be very much like her challenges when she got to the walls of astapor of marine it's can you get in there and take control because if you can do that in King's Landing, it doesn't really matter if the realm is like, we don't really like this new queen. She's the queen at that point. She sits on that throne. Right. And you know what? She'll have three full grown dragons at that time. So she can always go out into the field and say, are you sure you want to uprise against me? <laughs> and in Westeros. There's been precedent for bending the knee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> have you heard of Torrin Stark? You might want to follow suit. Uh, but yeah, in Westeros, though, the Targaryens ruled there for nearly 300 years, and there are still Targaryen supporters in the realm. So, And as you said, seeing dragons will draw more to her side. So I, I feel like it's a very and, different situation. And also, she doesn't have to go point to point. It's not like if she takes King's Landing, sits on the Iron Throne, some rebellious family rise up and she flies off with the dragons. She's not going to come back to find someone sitting on that throne, <laughs> re-enslaving people. It's yes. a different, it's a, you're right. It's, it's, it's a different comparison, I think. Yes. Yes. I, um, I feel so. So this whole thing will definitely slow down her ultimate goal of getting Westeros, but you can't force those dragons to grow any faster and they may find more reliable food sources stuck in one place, even though the woods were chopped down around Marine. Yeah. They've got it's, wings. It's coastal. It's got a river. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. They can, nice place to, to live. And they can fly to places that weren't burned by the uh, Miranese. That is true. Do you have some background for us? I do have some background. So Danny and Missandei are talking about Noth at the beginning of the chapter, and the Nothi god, the Lord of Harmony, and how the Nothi are protected by butterflies who make foreigners sick and or die. But Danny thinks to herself that it doesn't help against slavers. So what she's referencing is how the slavers have learned to come and go quickly before the sickness can take hold. We actually mentioned that oh. in Danny 3 background. Um, so in response to that discovery, the Nafi have moved further inland to make it harder for the slavers to come and go so fast. The slavers have also discovered that attacking at night has proved to lower the chances of contracting the illness. Anyway, and here's some info I have on the Lord of Harmony. He is depicted as a bearded, naked, laughing giant attended by swarms of women with butterfly wings. So, there you go. Do with that what you will. Uh-huh. And, and the other bit I'll, I'll tell you all about is that Danny is reading a children's book 
with stories from Westeros in the toward the end of this which, chapter. Which Sajora gave her, right? Yes, which is odd time to pick up that book. I I think so too. Yeah. Just after you've banished him, read the book he gave you and see if that doesn't cause tears. To right. Fall. Well, recently she'd been reading a story about and I'm gonna quote here if I can remember it correctly, three princesses locked away in a red tower by a king for the crime of being beautiful, something along those lines. And that sure seems like King Baylor the Blessed locking his sisters up in the Maiden Vault. Quick refresher there. He had his marriage to his sister wife Dana dissolved. He then locked up Dana and their younger sisters, Raina and Elena, in what he called a court of beauty, so that they would not tempt him with sexual desire. And the three sisters remained in the Maiden Vault until Baylor's death. Well, aside from Dana occasionally sneaking out and getting impregnated by her cousin Aegon, who eventually became Aegon IV. Uh, so, okay. there you go. Uh, comparison with the television show, uh, Danny and Jorah are not sundered when the news comes of the trouble in Astapor. But as in the book, she resolves, as a result of that, to stay and rule in Marine. Uh, that's despite an extra temptation in the TV show. Dario has captured Marine's navy without permission or orders to do so. So she now has the wherewithal to get back to Westeros. But she decides to stay in Marine anyway. Okay. Missandei's idea of allowing the Miranese to bury their crucified dead is actually put into the hands and mouth of a son of one of the dead. And Danny agrees to that request. Uh, because Barristan Selmy's identity was uh, harder to hide in the TV show, it was already known at this point. But he didn't know that Jorah was spying until a few episodes after the news from Astapor comes, when he gets a letter from Westeros, say, which is a pardon for Mormont. Selmy then uh, confronts Jorah with it, and then Danny, and he is summarily he Jorah is summarily banished from her sight. Okay, all right. Uh, Pedantry, I didn't see anything in this one. No, I didn't either. Okay. News and notes. Well, we don't have much in in the way of news and notes uh, today. I tell you what, play a trick on me then. (laughs) I've read what's coming. Play your trick. Okay. I will play along as if I'm fooled for one second. George Martin announced the release of a long-awaited book that he's been working on. Yes, it's finally here. The official Game of Thrones cookbook will go on sale on May 7th, 2024. That's not the name I thought they'd given it, but okay, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) He's collaborated with food journalist Chelsea Monroe Cassell, maybe possibly from House Cassell, on this uh, Game Ah. of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire-inspired book. Some of the 80 total recipes include Dothraki blood pie, crown roast of boar's ribs, Dornish cream cakes, red wine roasted grapes, and wintertown wassail. Uh, And if the name Monroe Cassell sounds familiar, it might be because she co-authored a previous Game of Thrones cookbook called Feast of Ice and Fire with Sarianne Lehrer in uh, 2012. There's more than one? Good grief. Well, right now there's um, only one. There's going to be a new one. There's going to be, yeah. In um, next year. Please check out our new Buy Me A Coffee Sustainer Tears. They are offer something for everyone. We had a really fun chat with our uh, Royal Kingsguard, our Lords Paramount, and our small council members uh, this week. And uh, <laughs> Yes, we did. We had some laughs. We did and, have some laughs. We also, we also, it was revelatory. We, we revealed things about ourselves that we would never put in the podcast. And I texted you immediately afterward and said, did I share too much? Because <laughs> <laughs> we know I have a tendency to overshare. Uh-huh. I, I've really worked hard on that over the past four years to not overshare. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I drew some of it out of you, to be fair to you. But uh, you see, this is a really good reason to join uh, our Buy Me A Coffee site. There's, there's, there's secrets you don't know. That's right. And your right. stories. You told the stories that you've been promising to tell oh, yeah. from the wedding. Oh, yeah. So I, I have to say, I, I did think that at least at least one of the people on the call likes me less because of the stories. <laughs> <laughs> there was a look in the eye of, 
I had no idea what this guy was like. He is not <laughs> nice at all. Uh, but we had fun. All right. We did. And thank you to all, all of you for coming. Yes. Uh, so let's conclude. Uh, so changing priorities. Um, she had until, uh, well, until now, been hell-bent on getting back to Westeros as quickly as possible. But when she gave the order to chop up the ships, she was already thinking... Uh, well, I guess she wasn't because she hadn't heard the news from Astapor at that point. But she was tying herself down a lot more once she once she uh, cannibalized the ships. Yeah, although she knew she was going to have to go cross land anyway because of the unsullied the, the size of the unsullied yeah, force. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, you um, know, I'm thinking regarding staying in here in Marine. Maybe she's figuring if she broke it, she bought it. You know, she she came in and gave all these slaves uh hope by freeing them and you know some of them are now being reslaved and she's feeling like well i created this now i've got to see it through it is it is a interesting challenge of course sort of like this sort of city state building that she's given herself because what you've got to imagine is that if you could put in place a durable system of government that forbids slavery that slavery would not come back. By putting a three-person council in a city which is full of violence and angry slavers and angry slaves, there was always the chance that things might backslide. But if you could put together something organized and, as I said, durable... Then there is a chance, but but that challenge would be very very difficult. Person to ask, I think, is Missandei because she's a, uh, she's whip smart. She one. is, yes. She definitely should have taken Missandei's uh, uh, opinion <laughs> on this. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, Barristan in, Jorah out. Uh, I think in terms of her safety, that's probably uh, neutral. I, I, I think, yeah. I mean, I don't think she's because Barristan is in his 60s now, you know, it's probably a, a neutral. But, you know, Barristan, of course, has the reputation of being Barristan the Bold. Mm-hmm. So he's got that going. And her decisions, it makes sense. Barristan really did nothing to her but track her down, watch her to make sure she wasn't mad like her father and brother, and then pledge his loyalty to her. Yeah. The things that he yeah. did to her family by by going over to Robert Baratheon's side. That's that's too far in the past. She's not in a position to really be holding grudges against him like that, I don't think. Actually, on the subject of sort of like, you know, sort of a constitution, I think I, I do wonder what the rules for Kingsguard say is, you know, when when the king was killed while I was convalescing from fighting for the king, when I woke when I was recovered there was a new king oh what was i supposed to do i see what you're saying right yeah that's a tricky one especially especially because it was a king who'd usurped the throne obviously if viserys had been on the throne he would have had his loyalty to viserys for yeah. sure yeah that would be but, easy right but viserys is still alive known to be still alive and robert is on the throne what are you supposed to do yeah right mm. But on the other hand, the full scope of Jorah's betrayal had to, I mean, we could feel it. We were in her head. Shocking knife in the gut. Just, just unbelievable. Like she thought this person was her rock and he has betrayed her in such a deep, terrible way. I can certainly understand her not being able to forgive him. Yeah. And as we said, unless Jorah becomes a point of view character, we're going to lose track of him for a while. So um, uh, we wish him well. Yeah, in his that's right. L- lonely endeavors, and that's kind of how the chapter ends a bit. When she thinks she sees some uh, torches moving in alleys, and she wonders if one of them is Sir Jorah, and she thinks, "Goodbye, my bear. Goodbye, traitor." Who've we got next time? So uh, next week we will be visiting Jamie. It's been a while. Let's Ooh, see what he has yes. to uh, to think. Uh, it's been a while in which he's been strangely silent. He has, yes. Let's find, see if he's found his voice. Right. All right. There's four ways that you could help us. You could leave us a positive review. 
You could buy merchandise at ghostofharrenhall.threadless.com. You could buy us a cup of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharrenhall. We've got tiers that should appeal to everyone. Check them out. And you can donate directly to our cause through our website, ghostsofharrenhall.buzzsprout.com. And if you're looking for more ways to interact with us, keeping up on the latest Ghost of Heron Hall news and developments, check us out on our social medias. You can follow us on Twitter, at Ghost Heron Hall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and YouTube. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.